Welcome to this BTOG podcast. My name is Tom Newsom Davis. I'm a medical oncologist at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital in London. I'm also the vice chair of the BTOG steering committee. And I'm Leanne Castle, a respiratory physician at Barts Hospital in London. This is part of our regular podcast series where we have informal chats with experts in their field and tackle the most important issues that we all face in the diagnosis and treatment of thoracic cancers. It is important to say that the sponsors of BTOG do not have any role whatsoever in the planning, content or delivery of anything discussed in these podcasts. We would love to hear your questions and comments on things we've discussed in this podcast. Please contact us uh, by emailing us at uh, info at btog.org or tweet us at btog.org. So today's podcast is about thymic tumours and we're going to be focusing on the non-surgical aspects mainly of thymic tumours um, and absolutely delighted to be welcomed by BTOG friend um, and expert in all things thymic, David Gilligan. David is a oncologist at Cambridge University Hospital and also at the Royal Papworth Hospital and is very involved in the uh, the thymic uh, tumour interest group in the UK and has had, held some excellent recent meetings about that. David, welcome to this podcast. Thanks, Tom. Great to be here. Um, now, I'm definitely not the expert here, being a long oncologist, and when thymomas and similar such things come across the MDT, other people tend to be a bit more involved than me. So I'm going to ask my first question at Leanne. Um, Leanne, you're the respiratory physician. You see these guys coming in. How do you tend to see thymic tumours appearing in the clinic? Is it different to how lung cancer patients pre uh, present, for example? So I think um, a lot of the patients that we see, the finding is often incidental. So we do a lot more CT scans now, kind of, I think, in general, uh, in our inpatient population and also in outpatients. Uh, I work in quite a large trauma centre, so uh, it's not unusual for a trauma patient to essentially be scanned from head to toe. And this is often the kind of thing... Well, these, these kind of incidental omas are the things we often find, mm. uh, you know, mediastinal lesions um, that then uh, the patients, you know, got a fractured leg and we referred the patient on to investigate or start the workup. So I would say that uh, probably a, a lot of, in my experience, a lot of the patients we pick up, it's often incidental when they're scanned uh, for another reason. Some patients, I think, uh, uh, reach us through the kind of plain chest x-ray route, uh, although most of the time thymomas or the kind of these kind of central um, mediastinal lesions aren't really seen on chest x-ray. And so it's always it's usually cross-sectional imaging. Um, the often they'll have other symptoms that are not really related at all. And they've had their scan, you know, for another reason, uh, or even though they've got a persistent cough, it's usually pretty unlikely that, you know, the the, the mediastinal lesion is the cause so mm. most of the patients we pick up and then investigate I, I i would say are found incidentally obviously there are larger lesions that that, that may cause problems so i don't know whether, whether david would ag uh, agree and that's the his feel from his patient population yeah i mean i think most thymomas i think we've got to remember are early stage and will be picked up asymptomatically another route um I guess, which is small but not insignificant, is through associated um, conditions like and the main one like myasthenia gravis, but also other rarer uh, immunological or hematological conditions. There's a, there's a list as long as your arm 
uh, of associated conditions, but myasthenia is way at the top of the, of the list. So some patients with myasthenia will have thymomas, maybe up to about 30%, and some patients with thymomas will have myasthenia. And so there is another route in through um, neurologists um, and uh, sometimes hematologists or immunologists because there are these um, long list but of, of well-defined of well-defined paraneoplastic or associated conditions. Does, does that mean because that's the one we all know about? We all know about myasthenia and thymomas. Um, does that mean that everyone with a thymoma should have a screen for myasthenia and good syndrome and the rest of them um or do you just do that if people are symptomatic um i think it's 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 becoming established as good practice to to screen for these conditions because um it may be that that condition is the thing that affects their quality of life more than the thymoma itself um i don't think you need to go too far into extensive uh, investigations what i would say is a is a basic um, i think most people will have a full blood count so that would pick up any um, red cell problems pure red cell aplasia immunoglobulins to pick up good syndrome and an acetylcholine receptor antibody to pick up myasthenia so when a patient is seen um, with a new diagnosis i think that is the sort of yeah. Eight bloods that you should do, but I don't think you need to go anymore if there are truly no other symptoms. And what about the the spectrum of the tumours themselves? So whole different range of thymomas, all the way through to thymic carcinomas, which I guess what I would ironically probably see more of, um, can be confusing. What's the um, <laughs> for for me? What, what, what's what's the idiot's guide? Well, I think people get, people do get really freaked out about the pathology um, because the the one that's used most is the um, WHO classification, which has about five or six different categories. So it goes A, A, B, B1, B2, B3, and C. I would say that don't get too wrapped up in it. Um, the rule is that C, which is sometimes not used, is is thymic cancer, and that is a distinct entity from thymoma and to some extent is managed a little bit differently and, and isn't associated with these um, paraneoplastic or myasthenic type syndromes. So um, there is a rough association going sort of the, the A and the AB tend to be at the more uh, inverted commas benign uh, end of the spectrum. If you look at um, sort of maps of the stage versus the, the type, the, the earlier stage thymomas, the stage ones, which are normally completely resected, tend to be more at the sort of A, A, B, B1 type. And then the ones that you see with bulky disease, pleural metastasis, are more the sort of um, B2, B3 types. But really, in terms of managing the patient, you're looking at more at the um, stage rather than the histological subtype and as I say people get terribly um, well they just sort of go a bit blank when people start talking about the pathologist starts talking about these various histological subtypes it, it's it's important but it's not it's not that important and and the end when you're doing your investigations what what, what is your 
is, is CT the one for us? Should we be doing MRIs? And when we have the eternal histology discussion, how are you recommending we do that to get well, tissue? Um, the, 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 the basic investigation is CT and the differential um, that we're looking for, I guess, is um, is this benign? Is this a thymic cyst or thymic hyperplasia? And that can be quite difficult to define on CT, but uh, MR, discussion with a thoracic radiologist about whether you need to do MR and what type of MR is quite important. I would say that the majority of early stage disease, stage one and stage two, where the, the tumour is in the anterior mediastinum and the lesion is fairly well um, defined, um, most CTs and CT reports from radiologists will um, say that this is almost certainly a thymoma. And in that situation, um, if the MDT, it'll normally be a thoracic MDT or a lung cancer MDT is agreed, then, and there's no evidence of any um, pleural disease or anything worrying about it, then um, you, it, it's well recognized that you can go straight to surgery without doing a biopsy and you, we're not talking so much about surgical things, but you can have a pretty minimally invasive surgical procedure in terms of a, a, a thymectomy. If you've got something that looks much less well-defined or is uh, associated with um, symptoms or loss of flat plane or indeed, as I said, pleural nodules, then we're probably more into the realm of, of getting a biopsy, which is usually a CT-guided biopsy, because there are differentials. There are the main one being lymphoma, but sarcoma, germ cell tumours, metastasis, sometimes even lung cancer can come into the differential. Um, so I say that there's really three categories. There's the, the completely benign that you can say, this is not a, uh, an issue, this is not a problem, and no one needs an operation and you can be followed up for a bit or discharged. Um, the ones that are clearly early stage thymomas, they can go straight to surgery without a biopsy and the ones that are usually more extensive or some got some sort of nasty features on the CT scan um, and they would go to biopsy and probably the role of pets, PET scanning is probably something that needs to be discussed in those final group of patients but I think generally speaking not in the others. Got you. Dan, I've been very rude and dominated all the questions, so I'm going to shut up for a second and let that go, because I find it very interesting, so I'm going to be quiet and let you ask some questions. No, 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 I was just going to add that um, I think there's a group of patients that that um, obviously oncologists don't see that we still follow in respiratory where MRI is often used, as David was mentioning, the kind of benign group, we use MRI to define whether there's a cyst or a thymoma, but try and differentiate with hyperplasia as well, because obviously there's a separate group of patients who, when we think perhaps they've just got hyperplasia, we might follow up with annual MRIs. Um, that's our current local protocol. And, and you're doing MRI what, people... to, re to reduce radiation dose in, in this young um, patient group, or just because it's better defining the abnormality? My understanding from my colleagues is that's much is a, is a much better way of defining uh, what's going on um, and that uh, 
the group with the thymic hyperplasia we often uh, will will keep an eye on as it were um but um i think that uh david david's quite right about the uh it's very helpful to have david david's opinion about the different imaging modalities um so you feel david that pet is really uh really only useful for the where there's concern about invasion or advanced disease I think there is a there is a bit of a lack of consensus. One thing that we're doing in the um, <clears throat> the BTOG um, thymic group is we're having a discussion about having a, a an anterior mediastinal pathway, which we are we're we're actively discussing at the moment. It's in development, and I think that um, hopefully we'll be able to produce. Uh, um, a document that people can refer to as to what imaging is done, is needed in what situation and obviously that's in conjunction with um, thoracic radiologists um, so watch this space excellent um i'm going to we're going to slightly stay away from the intricacies of surgery it's quite tempting to turn and talk about what do we do before surgery we're going to skip that because we are hoping to have a surgical podcast on on thymomas um but what i might ask you david is what's your view on neoadjuvant treatments now these are coming into lung cancer quite a lot do they have a toehold in um thymomas or are we really when we're thinking about treatments uh, around surgery are we, are we confining ourselves to adjuvant treatments there is a role um, for neoadjuvant treatment um you could divide it into neoadjuvant chemotherapy and neoadjuvant chemoradiotherapy. I think the direction of travel is away from chemoradiotherapy more towards chemotherapy, although uh, the thing with thymomas is that we are um, quite often in a, an evidence-free zone, so we don't have large studies to fall back on. We certainly don't have trials, a lot of trials to fall back on, but as far as neoadjuvant treatment is concerned, it's the sort of the stage three or stage four A disease. So stage three is where you've got invasion around the pericardium and the surgeon at the MDT feels it might be difficult to resect or it's rather too bulky to resect. And also if there are um, pleural deposits that might be difficult to resect. So, um, giving chemotherapy and we can we can go into the sort of the sort of regimes that are used but they're generally platinum based um, uh, regimes and you can get about a 50 percent um, response rate with with chemotherapy and that might make surgery easier and, and the aim of any surgery although maybe less so in the more advanced diseases to get an r0 resection so if you've got a, a, a more bulky or more invasive looking tumour um, that's a thymoma, then that would be with thymic cancer, it's quite often they are more invasive and aggressive and it's more difficult, they're, they're, it's more difficult to get clearance. Um, many surgeons I've worked with have said that when they've been doing what they think might be quite big operations with patients with thymoma, um the the tissue planes are actually quite well preserved and so the surgery can be quite can be not always of course but can be easier than they expected and uh david 
is is there a kind of standard regime chemotherapy regime that you can t- consider or is it is, is that a bit up in the air um i don't think it's moved on an awful lot in the last few years i suppose there are three that are in general use there is for the for the um oncologists listening there are they're all platinum based there's platinum there's platinum atopicide or cisplatin, doxorubicin, cyclophosphamide, they're more for thymomas and carboplatin, paclitaxel, slight bias towards thymic carcinoma, but they can all be used interchangeably, I feel. And in the adjuvant setting, we're much more guided by stage, histological subtype. Um, What's your take on that? And, And I guess that slightly leads on to also the the joys of thymic staging massa okokoga which always sounds great tnm sounds much less good yeah um i think we're all kind of um getting used to and transitioning to tnm from massa massa okokoga never say it that sounds Um, much better than the way i did it um (laughs) but um and a lot of, you know, up to some some selected stage three Masaoka ones are still in the realms of PT1A tumours. So it, it is a bit confusing. Um, I think the, the bottom line is whether something is R0 or not. And there has to be a good discussion between the pathologist and the surgeon as to what is R0 and what might not be R0. Um, and that's key. I think the, the stage um, is less important. Um, and when we're thinking about adjuvant treatment, we're thinking that it's more to do with if it's R1, do we give radiotherapy or not? And you've got to take quite a number of different factors into consideration. There are, there are various guidelines. The, the ESMO guidelines that exist are, are very good. They probably are a little bit more um, advocating adjuvant radiotherapy than most key people do in the UK. I think we are a little bit concerned about irradiating people who, given some of the thymoma patients might be um, in early middle age or younger, um, irradiating around the heart. Uh, and so um, one's got to take that into consideration because you may be um, giving uh, them undue cardiac toxicity because you've got to look at the, the overall figures. If you look at five and 10 year survival of stage one and stage two thymomas, you're looking at something which is um, in the 90% plus bracket. And so I think there is a risk in, um, in treating thymomas of over-treatment. Thymic cancer, I think, is um, much more difficult to, um, to pin down, but I would, not, perhaps not unexpectedly, you might go for more in the way of adjuvant treatment, even if you've got an r not resection, um, just because it is a much more aggressive tumour. Um, so there are various things to take into consideration, but the, 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 one of the sort of the cardinal thing is have you, if you've got an r not resection and you've got a thymoma, then I think you've got to think very long and very hard about whether you should do any adjuvant treatment at all, whether you need to give radiotherapy. And I think 
the, the direction of travel um, is moving towards um, not giving adjuvant radiotherapy um, unless there is clear R1 or R2 disease in thymoma and in thymic carcinoma. Again, you've got to weigh up all the risk factors. And um, in those patients that do have an R1 uh, or incomplete resection, is there any evidence for kind of higher doses or, or larger fields, or is that a bit old hat now? I think we the, the radiotherapy is probably just to the involved field, which actually can be quite difficult. And again, um, I talked about the surgeon and the pathologist's coming together to try and work out what's going on. And if you've got um, an R1 tumor that you want to irradiate, the uh, tumor bed, if you like, um, surgeons may, if they were concerned that they, they were gonna do an R, less than R0 resection, they may put clips in to help. But uh, I think it's um, obligatory to sit down at the MDT or when you're doing your radiotherapy planning as a clinical oncologist, to with um, the surgeon and the radiologist to, to define where you are um, wanting to irradiate. So I wouldn't do extended fields. I would just do um, involved fields around the, the tumor bed. But that can be difficult because you're sometimes looking at nothing. You're looking at a space between the heart and the sternum, which is now empty, which previously had a, a tumor in it. And, and after, after your, sorry, I was going to say because we touched on the near the neoadjuvant treatment, but is, I don't know if you mentioned is there any role in radiotherapy there, kind of pre-op, or is it more more chemotherapy? If we, well, so, the, yes, there have been um, studies looking at both. As I say, I think the evidence is is light. Um, the probably the direction of travel um, is more towards neoadjuvant chemotherapy rather than chemo radiotherapy um, uh, and if some but if something is truly not resectable then definitive chemo radiotherapy uh, is certainly something that can be that can be considered so but I think neoadjuvant radiotherapy as a sole modality is, is not really something that's recommended. In fact there's really good um, ESMO guidelines aren't there um, there's quite good flow chart showing in whom you might want to consider which which adjuvant and indeed new adjuvant modality and i find that quite I'd useful say that the the esma guidelines that are um produced they're now more than five years old um but uh they are, are very good and you 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 know you can't go far wrong if you yeah. go and have a, a look at the esma guidelines there are some new ones that have just come out that have been published in the um well, they're an update published in the Journal of Thoracic Oncology by Ontario Cancer Care, Canadian group. Um, and we were looking at them um, in our thymic group um, last uh, last meeting. They're not, it's not an easy read. Um, uh, um, but unlike other guidelines, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the they've they've updated them and the formatting is just is just terrible. Um, but um, uh buried in there is is some you know some evidence based and they, they've produced some you know quite a, they they have trawled the uh, the data for for the evidence um so um and what they've said is that they're the sort of 
because the ESMO ones are pre-TNM, they're mm-hmm. based around Masoka Koga, but I think the ESMO, <clears throat> pardon me, the ESMO guidelines are still pretty sound. And follow up, um, let's let's keep it well, before we move on to the advanced stage stuff. Um, follow up, they've had their surgery, they've had um, their may not may or may not have had some adjuvant treatment, but follow up is quite long term. Certainly for for my patients, I'm I'm doing um, CT or, or MRI scans, and and ESMO guidelines, I believe, talk about a minimum of a ten year follow up, and I guess that reflects the potential for late recurrence, rather unlike other lung cancers where late recurrences tend to be a less common event yeah um it's again i think you've got to um just take a step back and look at and be realistic and I, i'm not sure and it, i think it would be a very good um project in the uk to see and i know that some of the there has been um trainee group that's looked at um different practices and people vary between five and ten years but you're right the ESMO guidelines do say 10 years what I think is standard is that three usually uh, post-op at least three months to let the sort of um, smoke of surgery settle um, do a baseline CT and you'll normally see um, a bit of thickening or residual change which um, is your baseline and if you've got an R0 resection you know that that's just post-operative change and then um, if you're if it's an R not resection, the ESMO guidelines I think say do a, an annual CT scan for ten years, which is fair enough. Except I suppose if you've got a, a young patient and you don't want to expose them to radiation, then um, MR is a real alternative. You've got to probably discuss it with your radiologist, but it is a real alternative. Um, so yeah, fo- I think follow up is again something we given that stage one tumors will be very very curable um again we may have to look and see actually how many late recurrences are we picking up in these tumors with good surgical technique and and um i think that there is a there is room for a little bit of um for a bit of a little bit of research into whether we do need to follow these up so intensively and um as a respiratory physician, I, I tend not to see these patients post-op. We either send, we send, tend to say, we make our surgeons follow up our thymoma resections, or obviously they go to oncology if they need any adjuvant treatment. So just out of interest, in these um, patients that have a long-term follow-up, where do you see the recurrence? Is it, is it usually the tumour kind of resection site, or do they get distant kind of plural-based recurrences? Just in your experience, yeah. In my experience, uh, with stage one and stage two disease, I'm seeing hardly any recurrences, whether uh, um, they've had adjuvant treatment or not. Um, They would tend to be local, but the other big area that you've got to look out for is um, sort of so-called drop metastasis in the pleura. So thymomas distinct from thymic carcinomas don't tend to metastasize very widely outside the um, the thorax but you know anything is possible whereas thymic cancers behave in a much more aggressive um, you know pattern of spread with um, uh, you know liver metastasis or 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 bone metastasis or whatever 
Um, one thing that you do have to look out for sometimes in, in patients with advanced um, stage four disease is that you get um, metastasis. I've seen it in a few cases of going down right into the costophrenic angle and um, uh, going around the liver, um, which is uh, uh, quite challenging to manage. And um, thinking about the metastatic disease, you mentioned earlier a couple of regimens. Are, are those the same chemo regimens we're thinking about in the advanced stage as well? So yeah. etoposide, cis, cap, um, cyclophosphamide, yeah. dox, and cis, and carbotaxol, morphothymic carcinomas. Does that hold roughly yeah. true? Yeah, pretty much. And um, uh, all of those regimes are um, used in the advanced setting as well as the... Um, do you, do you have a personal favourite? What's the what, what what's the Gilligan technique? Or do you do you sort of put your hand in the, hand in the air and just guess one? Well, I'm I'm moving more towards carboplatin paclitaxel because it's uh, um, it's easier to give and seems to be better tolerated. Um, and um, I used to use a lot of cap, but I'm moving away because it, it really is quite a nasty toxic regime with three mm. very nasty drugs in it. But um, it is it is a challenge, and and, and your cardiologist doesn't thank you for it either. Exactly. Mm. And what about um, immunotherapy? Obviously, hugely important in mm. in most other lung cancers. A bit more challenging in thymic tumors. Um, not licensed. We 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 should add. Do, do you see it having a role? What's its evidence? Do, do you ever use it if there's yeah, funding available uh, for I it? I think its role is um, is certainly not yet defined. Um, the, the 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 concern um, in the trials that have been done to a greater or lesser extent is that there does seem to be a much higher rate of uh, immunotoxicity, um, particularly with um, those thymic tumors rather than thymic cancers and so the most of the work that's being done or has been done is more on the thymic cancers rather than the thymomas there is a trial at the moment which is um uh, it's either eortc or etop or both i can't remember the nevothyme trial which is a phase two study which was originally giving nivolumab um, uh, after first line treatment for those who had thymic cancer or the, the worst thymoma, the B3s, that did show some response, but it didn't meet its endpoint. And it's been rejigged to include um, nivolumab and ipilimumab. And so there are a couple of centers in the UK um, taking part, um, the Christie and the Marsden. Um, so we wait and see whether that's um, a viable um, regime and a safe regime, I think there is concern that um, you may be getting much more immunological toxicity than you do for other tumor types with immunotherapy. Uh, there have also been, there are lots of other regimes that, chemotherapy regimes that have been used. There's gemcitabine and um, uh, uh, gemcitabine and capcitabine. Um, single agent pemetrexed, um, there's a whole lot of phase two studies which show variable degrees of response, usually in the second line setting. And in terms of targeted therapies, there's things like um, morphothymic cancer again, and thymoma, there's sunitinib. Um, but the evidence is more towards stable disease rather than, you know, fantastic responses in subsequent lines of treatment. Hmm. 
And again, we should probably say that those are those remain unlicensed, I guess, reflecting the rarity of the tumour. Yeah, I mean, that's a problem. Um, that, that, the problem. Um, there really isn't anything that is truly, truly licensed um, for these tumours because they are so rare. And prognosis, I mean, you touched on thymomas may come back late. We know thymic carcinomas in the metastatic setting more aggressive. Can you can you hazard a prognosis or is it just so variable as to be impossible to say? No, I mean, I think what we have to realise, if, if most of us are, are treating lung cancer as our number one tumour site and thymomas come in as a bit of a, you know, uh, um, an added extra, that um, the prognosis and the natural history of these is, is much slower and much better than, than lung cancer. So even for, say, stage four disease, in thymoma, you're looking at um, certainly five-year survival rates of 50% and, 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 and even approaching 40, 50% at 10-year survival. So um, the, the, the prognosis is significantly different um, in, in, these, in these patients. And, and quite a lot of them, particularly, you know, you do see people who have got advanced disease with quite a bulk of disease in the mediastinum, and you look at the CT scan and you think, oh my God, you know, that's going to be an absolute wreck of someone who's, who, who, and, and they walk into mm, it yeah. and they're actually look really very well. And so whether it, what it is about the biology, I don't know. It could be that they're very slow growing and they tend to sort of grow around things, but there are people walking around with massive bulk of disease who you just, you know, you, you, yeah. you know, you know, jaw-dropping amounts of disease, and actually they're quite well. And you've got to remember that, um, you know, uh, you have to sort of just pause and think what's the best thing to do in, in a particular patient. Um, and some of the treatment might be sort of observing people until you think that they might be about to develop symptoms and then come in uh, and try and treat them at, at that stage. Um, Sorry, I've forgotten your question. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was my question. Um, I think we're, we're pretty much up to our allocated time. Yeah, and anything else you wanted to pick David's brains about whilst he was sitting in front of us, so to speak? I guess um, uh, from your point of view, what do you think um, the kind of future holds in, in terms of the treatments? Do you think um, targeted therapies and immunotherapy are kind of going to become more of a mainstay or is, is this such a niche uh kind of illness at the moment that we're kind of going to be sticking to our current kind of treatments i think that's a really good point and, and i i don't know i mean the 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 problem is that um with rare tumors you get very little in the way of um evidence and again as we've talked about we've talked about a lot of unlicensed treatments and so anything is going to be a bit sort of almost anecdotal um mm. And um, I think progress is slow, but if um, you, and there may be some movement in, you know, lots of rare tumor types getting together to sort of lobby pharma and other people to do trials or to do studies or to do licensing. I, I mean, I don't really know how, how, what the easy answer is, but basically enabling um, new treatments to be used or orphan treatments, I guess, um, that might be a way forward. But I think another way forward is um, trying to educate both patients with thymoma 
or and healthcare professionals about the fact that you're dealing with a disease that is fits much more with the paradigm of, 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 a, of a chronic disease that you live with in the more advanced setting but actually you know as we've said a number of times um in the early stage you, you're curing these people with an operation and you know they, they are cured uh, and um a number of patients of mine have asked me with thymoma that they say well if you can't cure it in the more advanced stage disease what are you going to die of um and actually not that many people die of thymoma they, they 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 sometimes die of the other associated conditions they die of myasthenic crisis they might die of um um, um hematological dis disorders like pure red cell aplasia that they that that are actually a more serious sort of counterpart of this mm. um i'm going to call it a an end of a the night there. Um, David, thank you so much. Um, tour de force. Um, what I would strongly recommend anyone listening to this is that you go onto the BTOG website. Uh, well, become a member, first of all, then go on to the BTOG website. And the entire um, Thymoma study day is available on there. And I, I watched it about three weeks ago. And it's excellent. And it's truly multidisciplinary. And you can learn a huge amount. Um, and the very next week, a patient came in with Thymoma. So I was full of interesting facts um and you can find that at btog.org so um thank you very much to uh, david gilligan for joining us and sharing his thoughts um uh we hope to have another podcast on the surgery of thymomas and that will be coming up shortly um so thank you very much david leanne thank you very much again for um helping out and we very much hope people will join us for our next podcast which will be out in about four weeks time thank you thank you tom thank you leanne Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information on BTOG, including educational events and how to join, of course, you can visit www.btog.org. Just to remind you, we would love to hear your comments, thoughts, questions about things we discussed. And for the really interesting ones, we'll even discuss them in our next uh, podcast. You can contact us on info at btog.org or on Twitter at btog.org. Thank you very much.